Hello and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back at the TV shows and cartoons and movies of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we'll be looking at a Don Bluth film from 1991 called Rockadoodle. Rockadoodle. Rockadoodle do. So, you said 1991, and that is technically accurate. But that's the best kind of accurate to be. Oh, God. Uh, that's true. Okay, that's true. But it came out in the UK in 1991, but it came out in the United States a year later. It took a full year to get here. Now, if I remember correctly, the reason that one of the reasons that it probably came out in the UK was part of it was animated in Ireland, right? Yeah, so, so Don Bluth, he was very kind of. Hardcore about trying to keep all this production happening in Ireland. I don't know why, but maybe but, it was cheaper. I don't know. I don't know, but but throughout actually the the story of Don Bluth's uh, different studios, the Sullivan Bluth and Don Bluth Productions, etc., they like to keep shit going on in Ireland. Hmm. Uh, in fact, they would like make sacrifices for the business to stay in Ireland. Oh, good so, for them, I guess. I have Irish, uh, I have Irish heritage. I like when Ireland gets. Uh, Gets a little work. But before we jump into Don Bluth, because I know you want to talk about him, um, let's just go over the movie really quick. And before we do, yes. We uh, are drinking Golden Roads Wolf Pup Session IPA. It's a, a brewery in L.A. Yeah, it's and, a local uh, local brewery in L.A. I've had a couple of their beers. I don't think I've ever actually had this beer before. I have this one. It's good. And, and I request it because it's a, a Session IPA, and we've already been drinking today, so... You know what? It's actually pretty good. You know, I, told, I I love this beer. I'm the type of person where I used to really love IPAs a lot, but then IPA culture got kind of crazy, and everybody just wanted more and more and more, and wanted it to be more piney and more hoppy, and it got to the point where it just wasn't fun anymore to drink. I, it was a struggle to drink some of them. So I still like IPAs, and this is a pretty damn good IPA, I have to say. It's super drinkable at about four and a half percent ish. Yeah, four point five. Yeah. And when we run out of the when we run out of the Golden Road, I still have. I bought Stella Artois, some cans. I did not know that they were eleven point two ounces. They're they're they rip look, off. They essentially look like like Red Bull cans. Yeah, it's it's like a child's beer. Yeah, uh, but, but but let's talk about Rockadoodle. So, so I believe the the Rotten Tomatoes score on this is twenty eight percent, and that is pretty generous, I have to say. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Uh, the budget was eighteen million, and it made eleven point six. So you're telling me that it is a critical and financial flop, more or less. Okay, good. We got that out of the way. Okay, so so it's done by Don Bluth Productions and Golden Crest Films. Golden Crest is. So they they had their hands in Chariots of Fire, Gandhi, and All Dogs Go to Heaven. So it's not like they were for nothing. And yeah. Don Bluth's production companies had different names. At the time that this movie was made, it was called Sullivan Bluth Studios. And they had done movies um, like The Secret of Nim, American Tale, uh, Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven. And they did other movies later. But what's interesting is this movie did not do well, as we mentioned before. And... When it didn't, Golden Crest, were, they were basically the financial backers for Rockadoodle. And when this movie did not do well, they more or less pulled their money out, which caused Sullivan Blue Studios 
to fold and they had to liquidate a bunch of their assets. They actually had to sell all three projects that they were in the middle of, Thumbelina, A Troll in Central Park, and The Pebble and the Penguin. And those movies ended up getting sold off, I believe, to Warner Brothers. Yeah, you know what? I've seen all of those movies. Yeah, I have too. And now Pebble and the Penguin's interesting because it was only about, I would say about 70% done. And they went back and did like a ton of like editing and shit to the point where it, it, I don't know if you've seen that, but that is, I believe, his lowest grossing film of all time. It made under a million dollars, $775,000. Wow. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> now it wasn't it wasn't the biggest flop that he's had, and nor was Rockadoodle. So let's go I, into let's go into the story of Rockadoodle before we start diving into like the, the intricacies of, of okay, what goes on. So if we're gonna talk about the story of Rockadoodle, I just have to mention how many of you out there thought that you were gonna see a tie-in from Land Before Time and American Tale to um, Cyrano de Bergerac. Probably nobody. Probably nobody. But you're going to fucking get it today. Yeah, not only Cyrano de Bergerac, also the Canterbury Tales. That's true. So, Rockadoodle is actually loosely based off of a play called Chanticleer, which is a comedy. It was written by a guy named Edmund Rostand. His name's important. Remember it later. It was written sometime between 1902 and 1910. It took him a while to write it. He probably would have been done around 1909. But um, but there were some complications. Seven, so Seven years to write a play? Well, part of it was That's he's fair. kind of obsessive-compulsive, and he did rewrites and stuff. But he's also the guy who wrote Cyrano de Bergerac, which was written in 1897. It's this very famous play. And, and when he wrote it, there was this guy. He was a famous stage actor at the time, his, whose last name is Coquilin. And Coquilin, or Coke as he was known, was famous for Cyrano de Bergerac. And in 1909, this play was actually going to be produced, and he was supposed to play Chanticleer. The play was about anthropomorphic animals on a barn, and a rooster that crows and thought that he brought up the sun. Yes. But the story of Chanticleer was essentially, they were critical of the like bourgeois uh, Parisian elite at the time that basically thought that they made the sun rise and yes. set. Yes, and he at their beck and call. Nature was at their beck and call. Right, and he was really smart about the way that he wrote it. But that's partially why that it ended up being a flop itself. It didn't do well in the beginning, and part of that is because Coquelin died in 1909. Rumored that when he died, he was clutching the manuscript to Chanticleer. Hmm. Well, they ended up getting somebody else to do it, and uh, they it didn't do all that well. It was criticized, but it was later more successful. It did revivals and so on. And it was for quite a while in the Disney wheelhouse. Uh, Walt Disney had this kind of list that he kept of projects that he wanted to do. And if you've ever watched... Kill like, the Jews, invade Poland... Uh, have Donald Duck punch Hitler. Yeah, so we've seen those... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Sean and I were talking about that. There's some great uh, war era films that he did. But Propaganda films from major animation studios are some of the best things you can possibly they're watch. They're hilarious. Hilarious. So Walt Disney had this running list that he liked to keep track of. And then he died. And the list kind of got more or less kind of lost to history. And they refound it. That's actually how they decided to do Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid and Aladdin. A bunch of these were on his list. Yeah. These are now, all old stories. Yes, old stories. Now, Chanticleer was, had been on the list as early as the mid-1930s. Yeah, long time so, ago. So, Don Bluth used to work at Disney. 
he was he was with Disney along with Gary Goldman and John Pomeroy, who were uh, major guys within the Sullivan Bluth Productions Company, and they used to work for Disney. And yeah, John, John Don Bluth, his first stint with Disney was back in 1955. It was like 55 yeah. to 57. I don't know exactly what he did. He was the assistant to, to the director of Cinderella. I want to say something like that. He did yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, and then he actually had to leave because Don Bluth is a Mormon. He's Church of Latter Day Saints, and he left Disney to go on a mission trip. Right earlier on in his career. Yeah, but, that was that was when he left Disney the first time in '57. Yes, he right. left to go do a, a mission trip, but he did come back. He did come back, and when he came back, um, he was kind of a major player on the animated Robin Hood, which is one of my favorite Disney yeah. films, and he did the Rescuers and Pete's Dragon. The animation parts of Pete's Dragon. Yes, yes, the animation parts of Pete's Dragon. Did now, that movie, did, is it is that new movie out yet, or is it still coming? Well, the, the remake of Pete's Dragon. I mean, we record these several months ahead of time, but I as of right now, I don't a, think. I don't. I think it already came out. Did it? Was it a flop? I don't know. You know that I actually liked Pete's Dragon. That was I one of my favorites. When, yeah, I used I, to watch it a lot. I liked it when I was a kid. It was a fun movie to watch. Yeah. But all three of these guys worked on those projects. I think that's how they met, and I believe that's how they got a hold of the list. Which is, I think, how they thought to do Chanticleer. Now, these... Clutched in Walt Disney's cold, frozen hands. Uh, you in mean the Matterhorn. It? Oh, see, I was going to th- I was gonna say you were going to say in the uh, the cold glass globe that his head is frozen in. Oh. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I guess it would be clenched in his teeth then. Yeah, maybe. It could make be. Make these movies. Yeah, it makes me think of Futurama. <laughs> Are the Jews dead yet? No? Pull me back. That would totally be something he would say. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Walt Disney was an anti-Semite, and he was also rumored, kind of rumored. Uh, Let's not besmirch the father of modern animation. I love Disney, um, but I believe his granddaughter actually came out and talked about it. Uh, they, I had an interview with her on uh, public radio. But wow, we've gone way off topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so these guys <laughs> they created Don Bluth's production company, and and it's interesting because. They did it mostly as a result of some other projects Disney was working on. When they left, they left around 1979, I believe. Yeah, 79. And they took about 20% of Disney Animation Studios with them. So 20% of their workforce gone and went with him. And they, they did Secret of Nim. So when they, when they left, the release of Fox and the Hound, which came out in 1981, got delayed by like six or eight months as a result. Yeah. And they left because of some of the more old school methods of animation that they kind of held dear were getting cast away by the wayside and not being used anymore. Yeah. And they were starting to get into these high tech special effects like that they used in Black Cauldron, which ended up being a flop. Um, which is great. Itself. It's a great movie if you want to go back and watch it. It's okay, but. Yeah. What what's fun? So so Don Bluth and this whole team of people that left, they were all working at Disney during the sort of the golden years of Disney from the fifties through the seventies. That twenty year span, the golden the golden era right. of animation. You have a, a ton of a ton of classic Disney films that came out during that period. Tons and and, and like like Chris said, the reason that they left was because they wanted to keep the traditional style of animation. They wanted to the, that that traditional pen that and paper, old school. old school, the way that it had always been. They were they were traditionalists. They wanted superimposing to, stuff on top of each other yep. and all kinds of stuff. And they wanted to do that. And you know what's you know what's funny is it's a little bit off topic. But if you if you go and look at any of Don Bluth's movies, the animation in his movies is amazing. It's 
always good. I don't care how bad the movie's rated or how bad it does. The animation in every movie, in this movie too, is fucking phenomenal. You can look at any Don you can look at any Don Bluth movie and not knowing that it's a Don Bluth movie, you'd be like, huh, that's a Don Bluth movie, isn't it? Because every he, time he created he and his studio created a specific style that is recognizable and so utterly different than everything else that's there, but in a good way. He's very much considered to be a major player in the way that animation studios animate and the way that that industry changed. And part of the way, the part of the reason we ended up with Little Mermaid is really in response to Don Bluth and uh, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and all of that. Because by the time that Beauty and the Beast and then Aladdin came out, Don Bluth was kind of on his way out. So Rockadoodle kind of more or less caused them to fold. They sold off several assets, and then they re-established themselves with Fox Animation Studios, and they did Anastasia, which was like their big comeback. Oh yeah, that movie is great. By that the movie way. is great. It is great. Well, I don't, boy, girl, it doesn't matter. And it, you know, it's what? a great movie. That's a movie that I've heard multiple people confuse and think that it's a Disney movie. Yes, I, I know tons of people who think it was a Disney. Like movie. Anastasia, she's one of the Disney princesses. No, she's not. That was a Fox movie. Now they did a sequel to Anastasia. That nobody knows if this within the story is is a sequel or prequel. Is that that Bartok movie? Yeah, it's about Bartok, which is the Bat in Anastasia. Who who played him? Hank Azaria? I think it's Hank Azaria. Yeah, I'm not even going to do that. So yeah, I can't do his voice either. It's too distinct. Oh, hello there. It's something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like um, I am Bartok the Bat. Well, the last movie that Don Bluth did with Fox was Titan A.E. And I liked Titan A.E. Well, to be honest, was that Matt? Was that Matt Damon? I don't know because I've never seen it. Oh. I've never seen Titan A.E. But it's rumored that it had a budget of $75 million, and it grossed $22 million. Hmm. $22 million. It was... It was Matt Damon. Matt Damon, Bill Pullman, and Drew Barrymore. It was a high... It was a massive, massive flop. So bad that Fox Animation had to completely go bankrupt and sell everything. <laughs> it essentially destroyed... All these people's careers. Yeah, so, it, it made it didn't even make back a third of its estimated budget. The gross as of September first, two thousand, as the movie came out in two thousand, was twenty two million seven hundred fifty one thousand, with an estimated budget of seventy five million. That's one of the worst. That's like one of the worst flops I can possibly imagine. But I like the movie. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to judge Titan A.E., uh, but we're talking about Rockadoodle. Oh, yeah, Rockadoodle. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, so the music was done by Robert Folk, who did the music for Ace Ventura 2, Police Academy, Polly Shore's In the Army Now. So you're talking about... <laughs> okay, that you know that's funny in and of can, itself. Well, because can I just mention one more movie? Because it's movie. my one of my all time favorite movies is Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Okay, I like that movie. But no, what's funny is you listed off all these movies that are essentially garbage or un, unknown, and the music is probably one of the better aspects of this movie. It's one of the better aspects of all the movies. Yeah. Again, so the animation is is always good, and the music is always good. Yeah. The story is always what they're critical of. Yeah. Stuff is jumpy, or it doesn't make sense, or it's poorly thought out. So, or... so the general story, since we're talking about it, the general story of of Rockadoodle is you have a you have a farm on which lives. A bunch of anthropomorphic animals. Oh, there's apparently yeah. there's there's no humans. This is not a human world. No, it's, all, it's animals. all animals. So you have a farm on which all these animals live, all kinds of farm animals, and there's a rooster on the farm named Chanticleer, 
who it's his job to to wake up the sun. And there's a musical number in the beginning where he sings a song about the sun coming up. And the song is called Cockadoo What a Day. Cockadoo What a Day. And Chanticleer is played by Glenn Campbell, who is a famous country singer from the 70s and 80s. And most I, of you may know him from the song Rhinestone Cowboy. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Riding out on a horse and a star-spangled Yeah. So he did that. He's, he is very famous. He is very famous. He's done seventy albums, forty-five million records, twelve gold, four platinum. I mean, yeah. he is a famous dude. Yeah. And so Chanticleer is his job is to raise the sun. And as one, an Elvis ripoff. Yeah. And and that's the funny thing that I thought about is is so he's played by Glenn Campbell, who is a country singer, and but famous that, in his own right, and famous in his own right. But the character of Chanticleer is essentially an Elvis clone. So th- and you find out you find out later on in the movie he essentially accepts the role of Elvis in in action in song in like attire. So they have Glenn Campbell rip off Elvis, yeah. which is very weird. So Chante- but it's done fine. So there's another character in this movie called the Duke of Owls, who's played the by Grand the Grand Duke of, Duke of Owls. Sorry, who's played by Christopher Friggin Plummer. Two Emmys, two Tonys, an Oscar, Sound of Music, yeah. Yeah, he he's only known as George Van Trapp. I mean, if you guys haven't heard of this little movie called Sound of Music, he may be famous from it. I think I think my favorite story from The Sound of Music is something I read about how I I can't remember the name of the oldest daughter, but there was like a 20-year age difference between Christopher Plummer and the oldest daughter at the time, and the oldest daughter was like 18 and in the in the Van Trapp family. Okay. And they had like this sort of awkward attraction to each other the actors did oh that's creepy and and he i think he said later on in an interview that the the attraction was mutual but he didn't want to pursue it because he thought that it would be weird well no no shit it'd be weird yeah it'd be, it'd be weird to uh stoop your daughter yeah yeah stoop your that'd be creepy and gross and weird and wrong on all levels so the grand duke of owls who's played by christopher Plummer, in concocts this plan where he sends one of his agents, another owl or another bird or something, to go basically fuck with Chanticleer. He sends some unnamed henchman that we never get the name of to go fight Chanticleer. He gets before dis- the sunrise. Before yeah, the before sunrise. the sunrise, and he gets distracted in a way that he forgets to crow, and the sun starts to uh, come so, up without him. Yeah. But what happens is, is su- the sun starts to come up without him. He gets all mopey and shit and he leaves and when he no, does he the sun goes back down. He doesn't he doesn't leave because he's mopey. He leaves because every other animal on the farm makes fun of him. They do. They so, they tease him. They they call him names. They're like, "The sun the, the sun's coming up without him." Oh, he's a fraud. You're a phony. Hey, this guy's a great big phony. Come on, Chris. Yeah, I think the one who, uh, one of them does like an imitation, this character named Snipes, he's a magpie, uh, who's, uh, who's voiced by this guy named Eddie Deason, who was in Greece, and he's Mandark in Dexter's Lab. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I wrote um, down, I wrote down, um, the, the, the characters that each person has played. He's also and- the superintendent from Punky Brewster, and he's a contributing writer for Mental Floss. 
Oh. Yeah. He's he was... also he's also in a callback to an earlier episode. I don't know if you recognized his voice, but in Darkwing Duck, he yes, plays he is. he's Mouth from Hoof and Mouth. Yeah, he is. Yeah. That's right. And he's also so... Oswald from Johnny Bravo, a great cartoon I love. Oh, I love Johnny Bravo. He's the he's the nerdy guy. He I I believe it was him that was approached to do one of the characters. He was actually approached for several roles at that point like in the 1970s. His docket was so packed that he was turning away major roles in things like Revenge of the Nerds and other stuff that could have made him probably a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, and that's one thing that we should talk about in, in this movie. The voice acting's good. The voice actors in this movie are, are like quality people. Yeah. So there's this character named uh, Goldie. She's basically a Vegas showgirl. She's a pheasant. Uh, she's done by Ellen Green, who was in Little Shop of Horrors. She and, was Audrey, and she also had she was in Pushing Daisies. Yeah, she's also she's also a fairly before she started acting in film, she was a fairly famous Broadway actress as well. Right, which is I believe how she ended up a Little Shop of Horrors because she knew uh, Mankin and the guys from Disney. Yeah, so and then you have Peepers the Mouse, who's played by Sandy Duncan. Oh, that's right. She was in Fox and the Hound, and I believe she was in My Little Pony. Yeah. And then so, the last, the last of the animated characters is Patu. Oh, there's another one, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So uh, Patu, who is a uh, like a barnyard dog essentially that wears pants and shoes, and he is played by Phil Harris, who has. Oh, we, I love his. Can I just say I love his voice? I would let For him me, talk me to real, sleep. Yeah, I was just gonna say his voice is really soothing. Yeah, he was a band leader in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, he's done he, a lot of a he lot worked of acting. With Jack Benny. Yeah, he, he did. had a radio show. And he was uh, Thomas O'Malley in The Aristocrats. Uh, he was Little John in Robin Hood. And, of course, Baloo from The Jungle Book. Baloo from The Jungle Book, yeah. I love his voice. I, I hear it and it just, I, it feels so comforting. You know something, Robin, I was just wondering? Are we good guys or bad guys? You know, I mean, uh, are Robin the rich to feed the poor? Rob? That's a naughty word. We never rob. We just sort of borrow a bit from those who can afford it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's this. It's this sort of like deep baritone that has this this really comforting rumble and. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I uh, love his voice. The, whatever the whatever the frequency of his vocal vocal yeah. cords are, that just it just it hits me in all the right ways. Yeah, it's so wrong, but am so I, right. Am I gay for Phil Harris? That's okay. You can be. I'm okay with that. It's okay because he's dead. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> oh, Aww. Sean's a necrophiliac. Oh. Um, so there are other characters. Hunch is he's this pygmy owl who's the Duke's nephew. Yeah, and he likes to rhyme everything with the word aggravation, and he is absolutely insane. And he has a Swiss Army knife that he keeps in a like cut off Coke bottle on yeah. his back. And the the guy who plays him, who's the guy that plays him? Charlie Nelson Riley. So Charlie Nelson Riley also is in. All Dogs Go to Heaven, another Don Bluth movie. He plays he, he plays Killer, the super nerdy henchman to Carface. So Charles Nelson Riley, he you're like a huge X Files guy. He had several guest star roles yeah. on, on X Files. You you would recognize his voice because he's the guy that he's the guy that always goes like. <laughs> so for maybe if we have some older listeners who grew up uh, about ten years before us, maybe fifteen years before us, the uh, the show Lidsville. It was a uh, Marty Croft show. Do you know what I'm talking about? Marty Croft. Is that the guy that did uh, Puff the Magic Dragon? No. Um, You're thinking of H.R. Puff and stuff. H.R. Puff and stuff. Yeah, so it's, a, it's the same guy who did that. So Charles Nelson Riley is the evil magician hoodoo from Lidsville. Oh. Yeah. Lidsville is a, is a show I really want to do. It's a trip of a show. Uh, it's it's fucking acid trippy as hell. But but he did a bunch of other stuff. He was a, uh, a Johnny Carson regular. In fact, he would fill in for people uh, who would 
cancel last minute, they would call him up and he would show up and he would he would be a guest on on Carson. Hmm. And he did Troll in Central Park, but one of his more famous roles is actually as a guest on the show Match Game, which was a a big game show that was on for years. And he was kind of this it's interesting because he he was out but never out. He had a longtime partner that he was with and he never hid the fact that he that he liked guys. But he was never like, I like guys, look at me. So he was he's, just, ne- he's never making out with, with guys on the red carpet. No, but but he never hit it. And he was very vocal about the fact that he never hit it. But nobody ever covered it. Because it was a different era in Hollywood. But he's... Just he's, like, what's his name that was the center square on Hollywood Squares? What was that guy's name? Oh, God. Uh, Bruce Valance? No. No, no. Uh, I'm the center square! Oh, that guy. Yeah, I don't know his name. Um, now there's two. There's a couple more characters. The, one of them is this pig who only shows up a little bit. His name's Stewie, and he's done by this guy named Paul Lind. Oh, Paul Lind. Paul Lind was the center square. Paul Lind's the center square. Okay, sorry. So Stewie was done by this guy named Will Ryan, and for me, this was a little nostalgic because I grew up in a house where we listened to this Christian radio show called Adventures in Odyssey. Did you ever listen to this? I did not. No. Okay, and they would like release these like uh, cassette tapes and stuff. It was it's terrible, and there's all kinds of reasons not to listen to it. But I did, and he was in Dumbo Circus. Do you remember that? It was like a live action. So Dumbo Circus was this. It was this TV show in 1985 where they were live actors in puppetry who were acting out Dumbo Circus. Hmm. And they also uh, he was Petrie from Land Before Time. Oh, that's right. And. In, 19, in the 1980s, he was in Welcome to Pooh Corner, the the one with the puppets and stuff. Oh, he played he played he, he, Rabbit and Tigger. He no, I was gonna say he played uh, the ogres Gad and Zook in uh, Gummy Bears. Yes, he did, and he was Digit from American Tail. So he he had some stuff, and we also should probably mention Pinky, who's the fox. He's kind of this uh, the manager of. Of Chanticleer, yeah, he's played a by the fox guy. managing a rooster. That's I know it's 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 smart, really. Yeah, um, it's played by this game named Sorrel Book, who is Boss Hog from Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, and he basically plays the same character. Yeah, no, he just plays some, his other character that he's known. He's like, what? Hell, come on, Chanticleer. So, like, a really quick thing, and I noticed her in the very beginning is Edmund's mom. In the beginning. That's the character we haven't actually talked about. Edmund is the boy. He's the main character protagonist of this cartoon. Yeah, we haven't talked about him because the, the the guy is Toby Scott uh, Ganger, and he hasn't really done much. Yeah. And his career, I mean, anything that we mentioned, nobody's going to know. It's like bit parts and stuff, but... Yeah, but, he, he literally, his last two roles were, non, were non-named townsperson and bully kid or something. Yeah, something like that. But his mom was the mom from E.T., Oh yeah, her name's D Wallace. So uh, you know, a little shout out to ET there. So but, I, I have to say, the the kid, the kid that plays, the kid that plays Edmund. Oh yeah, you were texting me about. I this. hate this kid, Toby Scott Grain- Ganger. I hate this kid. He's one of those kids that has like he's a kind of lispy voice. Well, right? he has a speech impediment. He's like, come on, guys, what are we doing? Here, let me show you how to tie him. <gasps> Jesus, I'm a furry. Well, kittens are furry. But, but I'm a I'm little a boy. boy. I mean, it's and, fine oh if you need. Oh my god, it's the whole fucking movie. Oh god, yeah. No, he. It's fine if you need like a speech pathologist or whatever, and you need some help. But like, maybe don't cast the main character of your movie with someone with a speech impediment, unless Half that speech time, impediment 
is like core to the person's character. Like Elmer Fudd has a speech impediment. It is core to his character. That his his speech impediment is not core to his character. It's just annoying. It was really annoying. I mean, it's and he's like a major character. He has a lot of dialogue. Yeah, and, and one of part of his speech impediment causes a line that's misheard a lot in the movie. So he starts out as a boy, and I we. We can talk about this in a minute, but he starts out as a boy, a live-action boy, and he ends up getting turned into a cat. An animated cat. And so, once he's turned into a cat, he says a line, and he goes, he goes, Oh! I'm all furry! And the line is misinterpreted a lot of times, because if his speech impediment says, to hear, it essentially makes him sound like he's saying, Oh! I'm a furry! <laughs> but he says, I'm all furry! Well, Whatever it, it, the, the Yiff in hell <laughs> That would be funnier Yeah it uh, would be You know so I mean Aside from Edmund The the characters are interesting I should mention Do you remember Earlier I mentioned The writer For Chanticleer Is named Edmund Ronstan Or uh, Edmund Rostand Yeah So it, The main so the, the main character The main is character it? Is a, is a kind of homage To the writer To the original source material Yeah Which is kind of cool Yeah It's, it's um, an interesting little So We were also talking about this This is This Movie Is An hour And 12 minutes long Hour and 11 minutes yeah, An hour and 11 minutes And 40 something seconds Yeah We counted all of them Yeah This How movie? much of this Was filled with credits You timed it Right Yeah so the credits in this movie clock in at about eleven or about ten minutes, ten minutes and something seconds. So, uh, so the this mo- movie is only an hour long. The movie's only like an hour long, and the last ele- eleven, ten minutes of the movie is credits. It's the longest credit scroll I have ever seen in a movie, and I'm the type. I know you are too. That usually sits through the credits. I sit through the credits because I think it's respectful to the people who do the work on the film, even oh. if it's a shitty movie. Aren't I you sit a mensch? I guess so. Yeah. No, so well, like I just so Doctor Strange just came out, and and we Marvel has trained us to sit through the credits. They have, but I I sat through the credits for Doctor Strange. That movie was great, but but I sat through the credits, and they were like five, six minutes. They were half of this movie. It's because and they the movie was two and a fucking half hours long. Yeah, it's because they clump up the credits so that they don't take up as much space. So it's not just two lines of scrolling text. That take forever if you've well, got a lot of make anim- it go faster. Digital God. Anim- oh, I, I I did I did read that. <laughs> Bless you. You're welcome. I did read that when this movie is not that it is anymore, but when this movie was broadcast on TV, they would show like the first two minutes of the credits, and then it, and then once two minutes or so had gone by, they sped it up to like two times the speed. It was just and you couldn't, you couldn't read it. Yeah, I think a lot of movies used to do that. Yeah, or they put it up in the little. Remember remember when you would watch like. Like Sunday night movies, like the 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 Disney the Disney Magical World of like Color, like Mr. Boogity, yeah. So the, the Magical World of Color with Disney, and at, like as soon as the credits roll, you'd get like ten seconds into the credits, and then it would go up into a tiny window in the corner, and you'd have like the nightly news, like tonight at eleven, and we'd do this like ultra fast speed up, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's what this does. So we've talked a lot about this movie and we haven't really talked about this movie. And the reason for that is because there's not a lot to talk about. Yeah, so the basics... I mean, we could go... So, as you guys know, when we talk about these, we go point by point, like, what happens. Yeah. But this movie, there's really not a whole lot of reason to do that. I found, honestly, I found researching this show to be way more interesting than this movie. Don Bluth is an interesting cat. And and the whole process of what happened with the animation studio and the other movies that he's done is really interesting. I don't 
don't mind watching this movie because of the music and the animation, but God, the story's awful. Yeah, so, it's just boring. So the but story I, there's there's two there's two beats to the story. There's like an A story and a B story, and they sort yes. of forget about the A. They sort of forget about the B story. So the way that this the way that this movie starts off, it starts off live action. Actually, no, it starts off it starts off animated. And what happens is. You see that beginning part that uh, that we talked about, where Chanticleer crows and sings a song and brings up the sun, and then the other the other bird fights him, and then the sun comes up and he's shamed, and all the other animals on the farm make fun of him, and he leaves and he goes to the city. That's all animated. Then cut to the real world with Edmund and his mom, who lives on a farm too. And he's essentially reading a storybook. He's reading a storybook of Chanticleer. It's As his, if it's all fiction. And it's his favorite book. And his mom is reading it to him. And then his there's this sort of cheap jump scare where his where a figure opens the door. And it's this cloaked figure. And the mom looks at him and goes like, oh, whatever the guy's name is. Mike, what are you doing? You scared me. And it's it's Edmund's dad who's like the levees are breaking the sandbags we need to we need to go reinforce the blood because it's pouring rain outside and their farm is getting flooded so he grabs the other two kids who are older and the mom and then Edmund has to stay in bed because he's too small he's like five six years old and they go and try and fix the stuff and he gets the idea Edmund does that the only thing that they need is Chanticleer to come back so that he can crow and wake up the sun because because that would make the rain go away. In the last week, I've watched this movie four times. Ragadoodle, Ragadoodle. Yeah, I I've watched this movie four times in the last week. My my so my daughter loves this movie. She didn't want to watch it. I I always kind of have to coax her into watching whatever we're covering. Yeah, because kids like the same shit over and over again. So I got her to sit down through this first song, the Cockadoo What a Day, and from that point on she was glued. And now she like she wants me to tell her stories about Chanticleer and she wants to watch the movie. I watched it today before I came here. I watched it today too. <laughs> well, I mean you always watch it the day of we talk, but yeah. I I don't. I had to watch it again mostly just because she wanted to watch it. I'm sorry. So, so well, at least so, it's only an hour long. <laughs> that's true. So it's only four hours of my life gone. Yeah. Um, instead of like and several Eight. hours in the future as she continues to want to watch this movie. You need to teach her how to work that DVD machine. She more or less how knows old how to... did I just sound right there? You need to work that there DVD machine. That gosh darn video magic machine. Hey, you got one of them magic boxes you can pick up the thing and you can dial a number and then another person on the other side can talk to you? Sean just sounded like Bill Cosby. You see, you pick up the phone and you call the bitch. And you say, looky here, bitch. I want you to come over because I'm Bill Cosby and this is 1970. I'm the most important celebrity in the world. Come over to my house. And drink my drinks. And, hey, what's that over there? Drop, drop. Oh, hello. You're unconscious. That's my favorite position. The one where you're draped over a chair. The next thing you remember is me going toodaloo. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just got a, a pudding pop like a visual in my head. So okay, you know, wait, the wait, pudding wait. pops didn't start out being chocolatey. They came that way after a few insertions. Oh God! So I took just... a picture of that with my Kodak film. <laughs> Sean and I just went like way, way off the deep end. So 
I, I I wanted to bring it back at this point. The fact that reel we watched it, it this yeah <laughs> yeah reel it in. <laughs> so I wanted to bring it back because the point that that we're talking about with the live action and the fact that I've seen this four times is every time that I've seen this. Did you ever see the movie Last Action Hero? Yeah. Okay, so Last Action Hero is this movie with. Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he is a fake character in this movie, and this kid gets to go into the movie and live in the world of this fake action hero, and he brings Arnold Schwarzenegger's character out, and the bad guy from the movie brings other villains to life. Okay, so I mention that because every fucking time I watch this scene, I think of Last Action Hero. Is it the scene where the Grand Duke of Owls comes? No, no. Oh, no? It, it's when the dad comes into the room with the raincoat on, all creepy as fuck. And when he comes in, he immediately reminds me of Ripper, who's this villain in the Last Action Hero who killed Arnold Schwarzenegger's character's kid. His name is Ripper, and he wears this like yellow raincoat and uses like an axe or something. I don't know why I think of Last Action Hero every Cause, time I... Because you're mentally disturbed. It's probably true. But I get these... It, he's... Cr- the dad's really creepy at this point. And, and so, as Sean mentioned, we do have these kind of like congruent stories. We have the live action and we have the animated. So in the And an- you're, you're reminded of the live action one because the anime, throughout the animated one, uh, Edmund is going... Where's my family? I can't see my family because essentially these worlds coexist somehow. It's like it's like parallel universe theory. There there you have the animated universe and then you have the real world universe. They both exist on the same plane of existence just in like different I don't even know. Yeah, some I, way too we're, we're <laughs> once again we're we're putting way too much thought into this movie. Far more than the people that created it did. Probably true. I you know, it's just this movie is this movie basically has these two plot threads going on. There's the live action, and then there's the animated. And Edmund immediately ends up in the animated. And then we live in the animated the whole time, and we don't get to live action until the very end. Yeah. And, you know, this whole movie is essentially Edmund and many of the animals going out to try and get Sean Clair back. To come well, back. He's gone to the city. He went to find work in the city after the animals all laughed right. at so him. Right, so the city is animated kind of like New York in the beginning, and then they animate it to look like a lot 1950s Las Vegas. Yeah. And he regularly does the full i mean he full commits to elvis he does the moves he's got the the early 1960s late 50s like uh he's got that elvis, he's Alf- got that costume with the wings from the, the 70s. white the white costume yeah, with the so, rhinestones well i mentioned the 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 50s and 60s because the first time that we see him in this like faux vegas quote the city he does this song and he's wearing this kind of fake cowboy outfit. Yeah. And and then later he does another performance where he's dressed as like the king. And it's funny because that's what they call him. That's his the name. He's not Chanticleer. He's changed his name to the king. Yeah. I mean, they call him, quote, the king this whole time. Sean had mentioned something to me earlier about what's her name? Goldie. Goldie. So, so this movie, this movie takes a lot of inspiration from the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This movie came out in 1991, 1990, 91, depending on what country you were in. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out in 1988. And for those of you who haven't seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it was a revolutionary animation slash live action movie where animated characters interacted with live action actors, notably Bob Hoskins and Christopher Lloyd. Oh, Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. I know. Yeah, so he's sad. dead. But so everybody loved that dinosaur. Everybody. <laughs> so they took inspiration from this movie, and that was part of why they wanted to do like half live action, half animation. 
So one of the characters in this movie that we had talked about, Goldie, who's played by Ellen Green, she is essentially a Vegas showgirl. And her inspiration was Jessica Rabbit. Now, everyone who's seen Jessica Rabbit... But they draw her kind of like Goldie Hawn. Yeah. So, she's a pheasant. She's Goldie Pheasant. So, her her inspiration is Jessica Rabbit. And in the first couple of test audience screenings and the concept art and all, her character was determined to be too buxom, too bodacious... She, too sexualized. Too sexualized because that's what Jessica Rabbit was. Jessica Rabbit was a sexualized character with big boobs and a high slit in her dress and whatnot. So they actually had to redesign her character at sort of by the last minute because she had this deep cleavage cut on her shirt. And they, they matted it over so she really doesn't have any cleavage. But it looks weird the way that they did it. It's because they did it afterwards. Yeah, it's a chop job. It, it's, like a, it's like a cell overlay over the top of it. Yeah, I mean, this movie has a lot of weird stuff in it, too. I, I don't know if it was telling the future or not, but... So, the character Snipes, who's this, the magpie, who the misogynist, yeah, right? He's yeah, he's a misogynist. He's, he, pretty he's full fucking misogynist, yeah. no, no doubt. I mean, he has, like, he has lines where, like, uh, Peepers asks at one point, what happened? And Snipe goes, she's a woman. Or, I mean, he's, he just <laughs> Oh, says, look, a woman that doesn't know anything. Yeah, he says stuff like that all throughout the movie, which is kind of offensive, or pretty offensive, but he has this line where, and he goes, wowie, wow, wow, wow. And I immediately thought of Christopher Walken. Wow. Wowie, wow, wow, wow. Uh, the SNL skit. You know what I thought of? I the, thought of the, Mandark. Oh, I thought of The Continental. Because, oh. Yeah, because Christopher Walken's character, every time he would get slapped or rejected by the, the hand, that was essentially like... Yeah, 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 yeah. So every time he would do that, he would always say, wowie, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> That, like uh, the hand would go into the bathroom, and you would see the, the the person like washing their hands, and then the the light would turn on behind the mirror, and it'd be Christopher Walken like smoking a cigarette, and yeah. So it, it made me think of that. But there's like a lot of weird stuff like this in this. And, and, and the other thing too that I, I was thinking of was the music for the most part is pretty good, but there's these little bits and pieces throughout the movie where the Duke is sort of accompanied by. The owls, the other owls. These other owls, and they're like, it's almost like acapella, but with organ music behind it. Yeah. And it's, it's. I mean, for somebody who's kind of nerdy about music, they sound really good. Yeah, they do. They sound really good. Uh, the rest of the music's okay, but it sounds really good. There's there's some other stuff in here, too. So, there's this giant high-rise at one point on top of the building that the king or Chanticleer is staying at. His manager's trying to hide him so that the the rest of the gang doesn't find him and bring him back to the farm. And he's hiding up on this high-rise. And the way that they, they, they make it look like is the top of the high-rise, the top floor, the mm-hmm. roof, is actually a farm. Yeah. And it re- completely reminded me of Gargoyles. Did you yeah, ever see yeah, Gargoyles? Because yeah, yeah. a castle on top of Gargoyles? Yeah. Uh, what, I, what, is, what does Patu say? You can take the rooster out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the rooster. So I wanted to mention that this scene because there's this weird line, and it happens at 38 minutes and 35 seconds. And there's this part where Goldie and Chanticleer are on this swing up in the moonlight outside on mm-hmm. their fake farm. And Chanticleer says, Ah, oh, Goldie, when I left the farm, I had such a big hole in my heart. You could have put a John Deere tractor through there. Oh, you poor thing. My heart is so full, I could, uh, I could just explode like a bloated lamp. Oh, King, you say the nicest 
thing. And her face is like it's freaked out. What is? How does a bloated lamb explode? What's exploding? I see. I think he maybe met a bleated lamb, which which is bleat is the term that a lamb is what you call the term that a yeah. lamb is making when they're screaming. Yeah. But he says bloated, yeah. which is way worse because so I I thought. I mean, he says exploded. So does that mean the lamb exploded? And then yeah, I got a visual I was of very exploding confused. lambs. One of the things too that happened a lot, of, or happened a few times in this movie, we mentioned it with Goldie's cleavage. They had a lot of after they test tested it on the audiences, they changed some things. And one of the things that they, one of the other things that they changed was in that scene that Chris was talking about when they're on top of the they're on top of the building, they're on the swing. Goldie is pouring what looks to be milk into his mouth. Some clear liquid or white liquid into his mouth, like it's been the the bouncer, the frog bouncer guy had yeah, poured, it, poured. He has bouncers that are all toads, like yeah. large buff looking toads. Yeah. So they had poured a, uh, a nondescript bottle of liquid liquid into cups, and so he Chanticleer the king is laying on Goldie's lap, and Goldie is pouring this liquid into his mouth. Now originally it was a darker tone. Not thematically, like the, the liquid was a darker... It was literally a darker color. The liquid was a darker color, intimating that it was, it was like liquor. Whiskey. Yeah. That So she was pouring liquor into his mouth. And they didn't like that, the test audiences. So they changed it to be, be milk to be milk or white, liquid, yeah, whatever. I figured it was probably supposed to be milk because it was white. Yeah, but chickens uh, don't drink milk. No, no, but see, they changed that, but then they don't change other things. I mean... So the the Duke's nephew, the 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 kind of crazy one, his name is Hunch. So he's like obsessed with killing everybody, but he's also a failure and and he calls uh, the Duke Uncle Dookie, which reminds Uncle me Dookie. of Uncle Dookie. Uncle Dookie. Yeah, it reminds me of shit every time he says it. Yeah. But but the the Duke always turns him into weird stuff, like he'll turn him into a duck or whatever. There's a scene where he turns Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so there's this scene where he gets turned into... It's the scene with the pie. You and I were talking about the scene with yeah. the pie. Okay, so there's a scene where he returns after thinking that he did the the good guys in. Yeah. Hunch does. And he comes back to the Uncle, to Dookie. Uncle Dookie to tell him about this story. And he's failed. And he gets turned into this weird bird that has got this really large, rotund, almost like Angry Birds-ish kind of rotund egg shaped body and it's green with these teeny tiny little like gorky limbs yeah but his head from from like his entire skull is like it's full penis shaped it, <laughs> i it did is not like, notice that. no look it is full penis shaped covered in these big warts so he turned him into <laughs> he turned him into no no and so like because the the body is like this kind of egg shaped ball sack and then the head looks like this penis it full on looks like a he looks like a cock and balls, but they don't edit it out. They keep it with the warts and all, but they make they make the animators change the the liquor. Yeah, I mean it's it's fucking so, weird yeah. stuff like that. Throughout one of, this one of the thing one of the things that we never that we never really talked about with the Duke is the Duke is magic. The Grand Duke of Owls is magic. He spits this magic smoke or whatever out of his mouth, and it does things. It changes him. It changes other people. That's why. When Haunch goes and he gets upset at Haunch when Haunch like fails in his mission, he yells at Haunch and the smoke comes out and turns him into the, the, the cock and balls apparently. And and um, 
But one, right before that, the the part with the pie, though. Yeah. Do you remember so, that? Yeah. So one of the other weird things that they edited out. I mean, guess it's not weird. It's pretty morbid, and I'm, I'm I guess I'm okay with they that they edited it out. So, but they didn't really. They didn't really. So in this scene, it's it's like a kitchen scene. It's a really dark kitchen scene, and the owl, the Grand Duke, he is making a pie, and he actually takes a baby skunk that's in a cage. And puts it in a pie and shoves it in an oven. Yeah. No, and it's really creepy the way that they do it. So what's interesting about that is there's this scene with with, with the pie and everything. And it's this large pan. So the camera is really far away. And it flies in and does a zoom in over the scenery. And as it's doing that, you can actually still see the skunk in the pie. And then it cuts away you never and, see the skunk. And then you never see the skunk. Uh, the, the pan and scan, that, that kind of a drop-in reminds me of this silent film called The Crowd from 1928. It's, a, it's this movie that's directed by this guy named King Vidor. He's kind of a big deal. But at any rate, it reminded me of that. And, and I saw the skunk. You could see his, his tail is sticking out of the pie for about a second or two. It's, and then it edited away and it's gone. It's just, it's just gone. such a dark scene to put in a kid's movie. Like, there were dark scenes in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but that movie was not intended for children. No, no. And, and, you know, there's another part in this movie where the good guys find Chanticleer, the fox has been trying to hide him, and they find Chanticleer finds out, and he goes to his friends, and they try to escape, and he frees them, and they're running away, and they crash into this water tower, and when they do, Chanticleer's unconscious, and they drag what looks like Chanticleer's dead body up a water tower. Yeah. Throughout this whole like chase scene, and then they jump off of this falling water tower into the side of a helicopter. They fall off because the water tower is falling down. Yeah, they do. Uh, the mouse is somehow the mouse is flying. She's uh, a nerd mouse. Yeah, she's flying a helicopter. I I, I thought that was kind of cool. She's flying. She claims it's a Sikorsky X sixty two, and that they're um, they're trouble or something. I didn't understand how a mouse could fly. The, a the helicopter magic of magic of movie making yeah i mean there's a lot of the stuff in here that's just like it just doesn't make sense I, the, the sikorsky x62 is not i mean it's a it is a model for a helicopter but it's not the model that they use in this movie a sikorsky x62 was this uh, experimental aircraft that looks like what you'd imagine a single prop uh, helicopter looks like but the one that they see in the movie is the one with the twin prop you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like and, the military helicopter. But I, all throughout this movie, the animation is so good. It's, yeah. That it's, scene with the helicopter, and then the scene right before that where they're driving uh, Boss Hog from Dukes of Hazard's Cadillac, this pig pink Cadillac, is really, really well done. I, like, to the point where you have to stop and notice that it's well done. Yeah. You know, you you kind of have to just give it to them. For the quality of the animation, you just yeah. do because sometimes you can sometimes you can overlook poor story because the visuals are so good. That happens a lot in modern mo- movie so, making, and I think this one is kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Uh, Michael Bay wouldn't have a job if. You... <laughs> oh God, Michael! If Bay. we didn't, if we didn't overlook uh, bad storytelling because of good visuals. Oh Jesus! Yeah, Transformers. Don't get yeah. me started. Yeah, but... so the movie the movie ends up the the the. The climax of the movie is Chanticleer goes back to the farm, and the farm is getting flooded out because the sun hasn't risen and there's crazy, crazy winds and rain. And the Grand Duke has decided to use his magic to grow huge and turn into a tornado, and Chanticleer gets trapped. And this part kind of pissed me off. 
So he gets trapped in the ground. He gets stomped into the ground. He's like halfway buried. And then as the water rises, he ends up like starting to drown. Yeah, and he's going down, down, down. And he's underwater. And the the whole thing is that he's forgotten how to crow. He's like fucking Robin Williams and Hook. He's, he's I've forgotten how to crow. You know, he, he doesn't remember how to do it. He tries like, cock-a-doo, cock-a-doo. I can't do it. They animate him really weird during that process. Yeah. They make him all of a sudden, um, for whatever reason, he's buffed through the whole movie. This one scene, they make him look really scrawny. Yeah. So he's trapped in the ground and he's got a big branch that's covering him that looks like a, that looks like a talon, taloned foot of a bird. Yeah. And yeah. he goes underwater and then he starts listening. He starts hearing all the voices the of the animals. Voices. All the voices of the animals like, we believe in you, Chanticleer. We believe. And then, and, and during this time, Edmund, who's still a cat, ends up getting strangled by the, the Grand Duke, which is a pretty violent way to get... St- he uses his magic breath and two hand, two magic breath hands come out and strangle him to death. Yeah. So Chanticleer hears all this stuff and then all of a sudden he has this like revelation moment where he realizes he can crow again. Yeah. He flies out of the ground, flies up into the air and starts doing his cockadoo and then spinning around and the sun comes out, the sunlight hits the Grand Duke... The Grand Duke, for whatever reason, he's spinning like a tornado. He starts spinning the other way and turns into this little tiny bird. And then there's this comical thing at the end. So he's defeated. There's this comical thing at the end. You know, he's like the size of... He's smaller than like a baby chick. Yeah, and then Hunch chases him away off into With the sunset. With a fly swatter. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the way that uh, the croc from Peter Pan chases off yeah. Captain Hook. Yeah. yeah. So then we get we get more uh, we get more live action. And the Edmund storm... wakes up and it's no longer animated. And the, he's essentially back in the quote real world. And it more or less just never happened. Yeah, you think it, that it's a dream because they, he wakes they up. They pull a fucking Dallas yeah, they on do. Rockadoodle. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what Dallas is, it, it was a it was like a soap opera kind of in the 1980s. Well, and, or and what a, was it? The, the end of the Bob Newhart show too. And, and it, it like, ended up being a, the a entire dream. thing ended up being a dream sequence. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's what you think it is. And then, and then uh, the characters come through and they do this whole live action where Edmund is live action and everyone else is animated. And I swear to God, it looks like crap. It does. Okay, you texted me. You said, how did this come out two years after Roger Rabbit? Yeah, Roger Rabbit. It looks so fucking terrible. Roger Rabbit came out in 1988. This movie came was, should have been released in 1990. It's two years after Two years of more technology, and it looks like garbage. I mean, Song of the South that was made in the what was that made in like the seventies, sixties? Looks better. Looks way better than this. I I don't understand. Song of the South is way more racist, but you know what? I'll trade the racism for the good animation. Uh, Not in this case, it's it's pretty. Song of the South is pretty racist. I know. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Literal Uncle Tom. Yeah, no, it's like full on. It's bad, but. But Page Master came out around this time, and it looks better. Yeah, live the live action animation thing. He had like in the live, so he's live action. He's on the animated. What farm. did you tell me that he was inspired to do this movie as because of Roger because Rabbit? Because of yeah. Roger Rabbit. Yeah. So I mean, it's like I'm inspired by this movie, so I'm going to make a lot shittier version of it. So they have this whole moment where he gets turned it's like back all that Sonic fan art. He goes Sonic from the Hedgehog fan art to, or he goes from animated to live action, and then he jumps back into the animated, where he's a live action character in the animated world. Yeah, they have this like little song and dance numbers that fades off. It's to a, yeah, it's a re, it's a redux of the of, uh, the of the original song. Yeah, the cockadoo what a day. Yeah, and and then you get your ten minutes of credits. 
And that's it. And that's so, the fucking movie. So would you recommend this? No, movie? I would not. It's not even... You know what? Honestly, to me, it's not even fun to watch, like, Altered. It's... It's... Like, the songs... <laughs> the songs are good. The songs are good. So maybe just download the soundtrack. The story is just garbage. This... The story is boring. It's boring. And, and That's what it is. It's boring. And one of the things that we didn't talk about is something that I brought up when we went to go get dinner is that the last thing that happened in this movie, Patu is the dog, played by Phil Harris. He narrates the whole movie. So throughout the movie, he starts narrating different parts. Like, right. oh, blah, 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 blah. So the reason that that narration is in there is because test audiences couldn't figure out what the fuck was going on. Which I don't understand because this is not a complicated movie it's to follow. Not, it's not a complicated movie, but test audiences were confused at set pieces and what was happening and why things were happening and what the motivations of characters were. I don't understand that. How are they confused? No idea. But so what the studio did was at the last minute, the 11th hour... They went and got Phil Harris to record a bunch of narration to put over the movie to explain different parts of the movie to the audience. As if, if Phil Harris was reading a book to the audience, more or less. Exactly. But it doesn't make sense. It's like the narrator in Winnie the Pooh. Why is it necessary, though? This movie is not complicated to follow. I, I would change my opinion from what Sean says. I, I, I kind of disagree. I, I don't think... I would recommend this movie. Yeah. I would. And, and well, I mean, your daughter likes it. I mean, it's so a great movie for kids, I guess. If you have kids, and, and part of the reviews at the Times actually said this. They said, kids aren't going to give a shit. Yeah. They're not going to care about the failings of the story. I remember when this movie came out. Do you? Did you? I, saw, I remember, yeah. I saw this movie in the theater, and we loved this movie. I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. This came out in 1990, so I was like, what, six? Yeah. Seven? Something like that? So, so I, this movie was not great, but... The animation, it just just to see this as a time capsule uh, for animation quality. This it, watch this and then watch Beauty and the Beast. I would argue the animation in this is better than Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it is. You the know quality, what? It might, yeah, it might be. I think that the the seamlessness in the of the well having a th- near three year old. I watch Beauty and the Beast a lot too. I would say the animation in this, except for the CG stuff in Beauty and the Beast, is better than Beauty and the Beast. The animation is phenomenal in every Don Bluth movie. It really is. And, and if, the if music you haven't, is good. If you it's haven't catchy. gone back... I, I, you don't, I don't mind watching this movie. The only thing is, is... Well, you know what? I changed that. I don't mind having this movie play in the background while I, while I cook or do the dishes. Well, while your kid is watching it. Yeah, you don't mind... Okay. I would I would say if you have little kids, this is a perfectly fine movie to sit down in front of your kids. Yeah. And you won't hate yourself because when you look over, the animation's pretty and the music is not shit. Which yeah, is you know better what? than I can say for half the other stuff that's I, out there. You know what? I'll change. I'll change my opinion then too. If you want to go back and watch this movie as someone who has watched it in the past, if you're just watching it by yourself and trying to like relive and nostalgia glass yourself, don't. It's it will not, ruin it for you. It's not worth it. But if you have little kids that you want to entertain, yeah, put this movie on as well as any other Don Bluth movie. You can't go wrong with it. It's it's colorful. It's pretty. It's Got good, good songs, and it's got a super simple story that they could probably follow. This, I mean, honestly, the story could have been covered in about 15 minutes. I mean, that's it really it, could have. That's why this movie is only an hour long. Well, that's why this movie only made $11.6 million. Yeah. So, it, you know, at the end of the day, I would say this movie's fine to show your kids. You won't hate it watching it. I would say just if you haven't watched it before... Or, or you don't remember much of it, go ahead and re-experience it. 
It's not going to kill you. It's not. It's definitely not the worst thing you've ever seen. It's definitely not My Little Pony. It's definitely not My Little Pony. But this is not a good movie. No, by not by no stretch of the. Of and it's the world. sad because the voice acting, the animation, and the music are good. Yeah. If the story, if, it should have been a good movie. But the writing was shit. And the, you know what though? That's the thing that I was talking to you about when we were uh, out to eat earlier is. That ends up being the criticism that most of these Don Bluth movies get. Except for American Tale. But, but he stole that from and the book. And All Dogs Go to Heaven and Secret and Him. Yeah. So, but, but and Anastasia. Least, but at but least, he did a bunch of other stuff yeah. and they were, they were critical least, of that. At least Secret of Nim was a book first and uh, American Tale was a book first. And I don't know if All Dogs Go to Heaven was. Uh, no, I believe All Dogs Go to Heaven was done because originally... There was this. Like, we I, need. We got pound puppies, and we need to make it dark. No, I think Disney was originally wanting to do a movie with uh, where Burt Reynolds was a dog, and and so that Burt Reynolds is a dog. Well, he is, but I, I think that's how Don Bluth ended up doing All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh, so but creepy. Anyway, I mean, that, I, I it wasn't it wasn't a terrible movie to watch. It wasn't a te- you know. It, you know what it kind of reminds me of is Back to the Future. It's just mediocre. Yeah, it's mediocre. Could have been better. It. Well, the animation is great, the music is great, uh, the voice acting is great, but the story is terrible. Yeah. And so that brings everything way down. Yeah. So I think that'll do it for us today. You know, when on the last episode we talked about our, our schedule coming up, so the next one's Goofy Movie. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I know. I do, I do too. My favorite part is Lester's Possum Farm. And Lester's Pa Pa Possum Farm. Pa, yeah. yeah, this movie's great. Yeah. So I can't wait for Goof Troop. Goofy or movie. Or a go- no. Goofy movie. Yeah, I can't wait for Goofy movie. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Or at least from what I remember. We'll yeah. see if it's actually any good. But. Now, we want to we wanna also thank John Hayworth for the use of our uh, theme music. Yeah. You can yeah. check him out on SoundCloud. Just search for John Hayworth. H-A-W-O-R-T-H. The rest of his stuff is great. It yeah. really is. My kid actually... She, Howarth. Like, Sorry, I mispronounced his name. John Howarth. Yeah, I know. That's okay. My, but my kid loves it. it. She listens to it in Dances Around the Living Room. Yeah. So... If you want to if you want to send us an email, we're at childhoodremastered at gmail.com. You, we have a Facebook page, we too. We do have a Facebook page, um, Childhood Remastered, facebook.com slash Childhood Remastered. Yeah, we respond to that pretty quick. And same thing with our Twitter. Twitter, yeah. The Twitter is at RemasteredCast. Um, we welcome your uh, your comments. Concerns, complaints. Um, well, not complaints. No, fuck those complaints. Uh, you can keep them to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> if you have any suggestions you want, to, uh, you want us to do a show or you have a movie or... Something that you uh, remember from your youth that you want us to cover, let us know. We're willing to disrupt our schedule. Yeah. Um, And if you could, uh, review us on iTunes. Five stars. It helps us out. Gets us more out there. Yeah, Google Play and Stitcher. Same thing. Feel free to review us there. Uh, Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, wherever you're listening, please review us. Uh, we, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, we do this for fun and for free because, well, Sean and I would do this anyways. Yeah. Sometimes we sometimes we end up talking just as much before the show as we do during the show. Yeah, that happens a lot. And, and sometimes we have to go, oh, wait a second. We want to talk let's about save this. save that. Yeah, let's yeah. save that because we have stuff to talk about. Or I have to think about, oh, you know what? Wait a minute. I, I don't want to say anything because if I do, then we won't be able to talk about this on the podcast. Definitely. So, yeah. So please bring us what you got. We'll be happy to discuss it. Yeah. So uh, until next time when we do the Goofy movie, uh, this has been Sean. And Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time. Sunshine, 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 sun
sun do shine, sun do shine. Well, my daddy taught me how to sing, and that's why this sports means everything. Sun do shine, you better shine. You better shine. Well, the sun do shine, you better shine. You better shine. You better shine.